Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. Welcome back to part two of our chat with Rosie Bennett. If you haven't listened to part one, I would absolutely recommend that you go back and listen to it, released last week, um, as not much of this will make much sense without it. Um, So when we left Rosie, she had just been describing basically her descent into a breakdown. So we continue with Rosie's story. Thanks for coming back. And then, probably in the most pretentious way possible, uh, I had the beginning of the first existential crisis that I could put into words at an age where I was able to describe what the feeling was. I remembered having this feeling when I was little, this kind of, what if life isn't really just a game? Mm. And then you think, oh, well, I mean, but life is a game, so it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, and then during a music history class, We watched the YouTube video of Pain Changes by David Lang, which is where this wonderful singer starts singing about a body in the ground. And slowly, even though she's looking at the camera all the time, her makeup, I don't know how they did it, starts to slowly change until she looks demonic. And then I left the room and I realised with this deafening gravity that death is a certainty, that it's something mm, that yeah. cannot be escaped, and also that it was is something that will happen to me. I was like, well, that's kind of unfair. I, I always thought of myself as the kind of person who liked life, even though I was having the worst time. I thought, not me, the person who waves at the guy who works in the chocolate shop near where I live every morning and, you know, helps the old lady with her bags. How can I have that same fate? Mm. And it just hit me so hard. And all of the people that I ended up talking to about it just happened to have this awful way of talking about it that meant that I sat in it for so long. Um, I remember going to talk to the director of music. He noticed me in the corridor. And he said, Rosie, you don't look so happy. And I said, I'm not happy. <laughs> he said, oh, well, come in, come and sit down. I'm going to die. How can I be happy? Death is a certainty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just told him that. I've just figured out that I'm going to die. And he told me, oh, it doesn't get better as you get older. And I was like, what? <gasps> That's so terrible. <laughs> and I just kind of spiraled. I thought that what I was experiencing was an omen or a, a precursor yeah. to death. Because the feeling that you have with any kind of panic disorder or anxiety disorder is a deep, melting kind of honey in the pit of your belly that doesn't go away. And it Mm. it has this electric field around it that makes you incredibly cold or, you know, does different things for everyone. This is what it did for me. You know, it made me cold. It made me jittery. It made me unable to think in in full sentences. Um, 
it just made me unable. I felt incapacitated. I couldn't sit in silence. I think I watched back to back 12 seasons of The Biggest Loser, which is this awful program yeah. from America where they have to lose weight. Um, We've all I think that. I watched We've that all been there. <laughs> I'm so glad that this so is either a relevant... that or super size or that's a super skinny. Yeah, exactly. All these diet things. That's what I was just watching back to back. And sometimes I even... I couldn't stand to just have one thing on, but I had to have a couple of things on. So I would like watch, you know, Super Size versus Super Skinny stuff alongside listening to Michael McIntyre stuff to try and make me. Happy. Oh my god! Um, and I was just, I was a woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown. I guess that's that's kind of what it was. But because I never talked about it, I never said anything. I was still kind of insufferable in my company because I still had this egotistical thing going on. It just kind of went unnoticed. I just thought, this is my life now. I, I thought that it was a certainty. I didn't think, oh, there's something that could be done about this. Or, you know, oh, if I talk to somebody, then maybe it'll change. Um, I started to become, you know, a fantastic hypochondriac. Every every single thing that would change, I'd be like, oh, there's a little hair out of place. <gasps> maybe I'm growing extra hairs here. Maybe this, you know, just anything. It didn't mm. matter what it was. It was all, um, I kind of catastrophized absolutely everything that was happening in my life. And the truth of the matter is that nothing really happened to change it except time mm -hmm. i would go to bed i think for about eight months i went to bed in panic real panic the kind of panic i can only imagine now if something awful would be happening right in front of me that i would be unable to stop and then i would wake up in the morning feeling the most blissful that i've ever felt and then slowly the feeling would creep back. Mm. And that was how I, I lived sort of constantly for, for all of those months. And then what changed? Time passed. Things slowly started to improve. Little things, I guess. I started to eat a little bit better. I started to speak a little bit more Dutch. Maybe that <laughs> helped as well. I could uh, find some kind of kindred spirit in my teacher because he was going through a depressive period because his father passed away. It just all kind of started to fall into place in... You became less isolated. I became a bit less isolated. Yeah, I guess that. And I suddenly started to have a couple of days where I wouldn't feel that way for 20 minutes. And I think, hey, that's that's kind of interesting. Mm. And then slowly it just dissipated. I mean, I wish that I just had talked to anyone because I think a lot of people were having... A lot of people from school were having the same kind of realizations the same kind of breakdowns at the same time um you know just realizing in retrospect that probably if I'd extended my hand to literally anyone that I probably could have been out of it much quicker but nevertheless it brought me to a place where I went back to that course uh, the next summer thinking I am done with this mm. I played a good exam I had done a few things that I thought were pretty good, but that felt like, okay, I should just quit while I'm ahead. I started to feel the kind of the little tinglings of uh, injury in my left hand. I thought, okay, that's it. I, I This is my way out. I went back to the course. I said to him, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite, I mean, I, th I think I probably just, I'm just going to leave it here. And he said, you don't sound convinced. I said, well, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I can't say that I'm really convinced. He said, you're still waiting for somebody to tell you that you should be doing this. And I was like, oh, I've been busted. I really am waiting for somebody to tell me. And he said, okay, then I'm going to tell you. You're going to come study with me in America for a year. 
And after that, you're going to go your own way. And then you can make your own decisions. But after that, yeah. And so I said, okay. Um, so I really, I mean, I guess I have that, this guy, Rene Esquero, I have him to thank really for the fact that I'm playing these days, for the fact that I can find any kind of joy in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just gave me what I wanted both times. He helped me catastrophize the situation and then figure it out in 2015. <laughs> and then in 2016, he he really put his neck on the line Um to tell me the thing that I wanted to hear, the thing that I've been waiting to hear all along, which was somebody that I respect telling me that they thought that I should be doing this. Well, you know, after that, things kind of started to move a little bit up. I realized that I had probably hit the rock bottom at that point. I mean, you know, at some point when it starts going lower and lower, you just stop looking for it. So I just yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, there was no point. You don't know anymore. what the end really is. Exactly. It was like, oh, maybe this is just how it goes. Yeah. Maybe this is just my descent into hell, slowly, slowly. But yeah, slowly, I guess that things started to feel a little bit better. That was the breakdown. That's the answer to your question. Have there mm. been times when you have not felt this way yes always and forever leading up to probably the pre-lockdown period and even going back i mean i feel that this is really the best point or this is the happiest the most content that i felt with how i am it feels very basic the things that i can can genuinely think this is what I am good at or like or want to do. Mm. These are the things that I can kind of commend myself on that I, that I think that I'm good at. But it's better than the thousand page long resume that I used to have where none of it was true mm. or none of it I felt was true. So yeah, that's the answer to your question. Oh, <laughs> 40 minutes later, sorry. <laughs> no, but it was, yeah, it's kind of just like a, an open look into your soul yeah and it's really interesting the way that you talk about it Hmm. it's i wouldn't say romanticized but it's like in this kind of like amazing storytelling way Mm -hmm. that seems so self-aware despite all this mess you seem to be able to put it into such concise words i guess the clarity that i have on those situations now comes with the ending of those periods of my life I guess I can divide my life right now into four chunks of time, four different lives. Um, The life that I lived as a small child, oblivious to everything. Then the life that starts with school, with uh, menu in school and with guitar. This uh, being kind of thrown into the water of something that I was completely unprepared for and stayed unprepared for the whole time. (laughs) Um... And then that sort of transition period. So when I when I was so you're eighteen, obviously this is a big changing period for everybody because you go from being the oldest, coolest, the baddest, the best, <laughs> to being the youngest, the stupidest. You know, you just now you're an adult, but at basically the first grade again. You're just you're right in the beginning again, um, and everybody's looking at you, thinking, "Oh God, there's another one." You know, you've come from being the lion to being the little beetle mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay oh the beetles are i guess that's not the bottom what would be the the bottom Actually, the mouse no flea flea the flea the flea the re- flea. they bite me though they're they're really right. powerful the 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 midge i don't know <laughs> well see my problem the problem is that i'm having with this is that because insects have such strong exoskeletons it feels a bit yeah. unlikely that they're at the bottom you know what i mean it needs to be something soft yeah, the worms. Leaf. Yeah, I think worm is good because although worms are very 
well okay, you can split all them in animals two. have their thing yeah exactly they're Shit. kind of really Maybe everything's powerful but yeah so anyway you go to be the bottom of the bottom the bottom of the food chain uh and then that for me up until the time when i left education and pretty much that last year because i i sort of left education when i left america i came here to finish my bachelor but i was insufferable in a new way i was just my teacher would say you should do it like this and i was like maybe maybe i don't have to do it that way yeah you know I, mean? I mean it works so good for you you're so amazing you're so like i just love your playing but it just i don't know it just i just don't think it works for me and she was just like you have to do it this way and i was like oh but maybe i don't know like this is really <laughs> you're too <laughs> enlightened so yeah too enlightened <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've had a breakdown this shit so, like, yeah, you can't tell me what to do exactly <laughs> I was starting to feel a bit more self-assured. I, she would say, oh, you should do this fingering. And I, I started to have a feel of what my body was capable of and how it operated best. And so I would sort of be saying to her, yeah, but, you know, actually, because I have more power in my, in my flexor. So I kind of, I think if I move on, I just, I started to feel like, oh, I'm actually building something here. Uh, which obviously as a nearly retired old legend, she was a bit hostile to. So we ended up having a kind of rocky relationship. <laughs> but I don't really remember it as being in education because I still, I guess I'd retained a lot of the flair of having been such an egotistical individual previously. Mm -hmm. So I kind of waltzed in and was like, well, I should have an exemption from this because I've been to menu in school. And then the teacher was like, oh yeah, that's true. That's okay. And then I was like, well, actually I've already done this class and like I've already read Hegel, so I don't need to do that class. And then like all this just pretentious stuff, but it just kind of worked in my favor this time. And I guess that was lucky. Um, so yeah, and then that's kind of, I can't tell you a lot with a lot of clarity about the period between that and now, mm -hmm. because I'm still in it. I guess maybe this feels a little bit like an ending of something, but I'm not quite sure. What can I tell you about the last period? I can tell you that I've done a lot of interesting things that I otherwise that otherwise would have made me feel like I was cheating or being a guitarist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the writing, the podcasting, being on Instagram, being a girl, being alive, being a human, all those things made me feel like I was cheating being a guitarist. <laughs> yeah. And so those are basically all the things that I've done in the last it's been my punk period <laughs> I feel the same that I I've it's such yeah. a good way of putting it like I feel like I'm and actually goes back to what you said at the beginning I feel like I'm doing everything and nothing um yeah you, yeah but you I feel like I'm cheating on being a trumpet player yeah but it's being a trumpet player I don't know if I'm speaking for you but I feel like if that was all you had in your life mm. it would be very people wouldn't get to experience the whole of you yeah, and it, it seems like for for your story, Rosie, that um, it's this constant waning of being like kind of isolated, being slightly more, uh, yeah, extending a hand or extending some words to somebody and then just kind of waxing and waning of that and also needing somebody to tell you what you should do. And actually, it's so interesting. We were talking to somebody else about the power that teachers words have like that one teacher that said if it's life and death you shouldn't be doing it which there are thousands of ways that you could take that um yeah but if yeah. just for your circumstances that felt like just the beginning of like a huge period of just yeah isolation and needing somebody to tell you no you should be doing it it's just yeah. so just so powerful My life would definitely have been very different if that hadn't been true because i never I guess I didn't really come back to this because it basically just started my breakdown. But what I really realized through that was that uh, there was so little pressure 
so few people watching. No, the choice is there, right? And it's the kind of tantalizing thought that you can do it. It's like, mm. oh, you don't, you shouldn't be doing this, but I could do it anyway. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. that's kind of enticing and it's exciting. And in terms of how the sort of the place that Instagram has in all this, and you speak about it in a in a very positive way, obviously, but can you talk about like just how that has become what it is for you? How that's become even an income source for you? And and how you manage the uh, another pressure, another pressure, yeah, <laughs> being on a platform of that size uh, with all this, yeah. all this like stuff to unpack. I mean, I don't actually know the storyline. You know, was were you on Instagram in a big way when this was all going on, or is this something that's happened after? No, so I. Uh... I later regretted not doing it before. I always thought that if I had started an Instagram account when I was very skinny and then built a load of muscle, I would just be so rich now that I wouldn't do that <laughs> You would have a protein business and yes, oh my I'd have gosh. a neat Gymshark deal and I'd be yep. laughing. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't. I guess I had a kind of pretentious Instagram account just for myself where I'd post pictures of, you know, the bottom half of my face. Oh, yes. This, you know, the original Instagram baddies. That's what it was. You know, <laughs> pictures of light for. filtering through trees. Oh, exactly. So good. Um, and then when I moved to Lerva, which is where I live now, um, I just realized that I was spending so much time on Instagram that it didn't make sense to not have a proper account. So I shamefully, or not shamefully, I feeling shameful, <laughs> Lee, um, feeling full of shame, yes. let's say it that way. I started an account. I blocked a bunch of people I knew. This was nice. meant to be for just people I didn't know. And I just started posting pictures of me. Videos used to be less of a thing in yeah. general on Instagram. So that was like 2017. And then I started, I did one little rant post. It was about comfort zones. So I used to keep seeing these things crop up. It's like, if you never step out of your comfort zone, you're never going to find who you truly are. <laughs> I was like, that is such rubbish. Yeah. Like, you know, my whole life has basically just been trying to figure out what comfort zone I'm in. When people tell you think outside the box, it's like, well, you hired me for this job because you like my box. So I'm just <laughs> going to think within the box I'm in. Like, that's a talent. Being able to find the thing that you actually like or are good at and that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah, what your box is it's to start off with. Oh, so yeah. good. Like, it's so important because it's not all about just walking up to a CEO and saying, hey, man, I want to work for your company. Um, that's not what life is all about. It's about honing the thing inside of you that you think if you manifest it well, that you will become more of who you think you are, right? And you can only do that through identifying the things that you like, the things that you think you are, um, which is just staying in your comfort zone. So I basically just posted a picture of me, like, you know, some <laughs> ridiculous pose with the guitar. And then um, a big rant about this continued into 20 of the comments. And then obviously, you know, hashtag classical musicians. Yeah. Uh, hashtag classical music is life. Um, stuff like that. And then people started to write me and, and actually share their opinions. And I realized, oh, maybe they're, maybe it's just not just me feeling this angsty way. There's a lot of people feeling angsty about this stuff. So that's where it started. And then I would just constantly do this. And then I would post a video or two and then have, you know, big long captions. But the captions was always a thing for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously I used to edit my pictures a lot because who didn't? Who likes their face? Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> Instagram is such a weird world. It's changed a lot in the last two years. Uh, up until 
2020, Instagram was a fun place to be as soon as I had 20,000 followers. Between one follower and 10,000 followers was a ridiculous time because you don't have enough narrative coming your way to be able to sift through it and find the people you like. Mm -hmm. But you have like little enough of it to be able to read it all. (laughs) So you get a lot of commentary on the stuff that you're doing. And I remember people saying things like, oh, yeah, but you, you never had this success. Six hundred people follow you around. Is that success? <laughs> but okay, um, you know, if you weren't a girl, and that used to really irk me because I thought, what? I, my my girlhood had never been so up for debate before. I don't know. It was just so, so like weird, it was yeah. so Opposite exciting and horrifying. Yeah. yeah, for it to be this kind of oh, it's just because you're a girl. And I was like, maybe it's because fifty percent of a girl and fifty percent because I say interesting stuff, and people are like, no, it's because you're a girl. <laughs> Which that's what made it tricky as well every time someone would say something like that I would define myself in opposition to that Mm. so judgment was really really difficult I I sort of I guess in the beginning I used to define myself in opposition to the judgment or well let's say that maybe those are the three stages of my life like the first was that judgment defined who I was the second is this kind of period where I define myself in opposition to the judgment I was getting Mm. and now where I just I feel like nobody judges me that can't be true people must be still writing me the same kind of stuff but it just it means so little for me that I don't I don't see it I don't I don't read it I don't I don't seek it is that to do with having so many followers do you think now I guess in a way, I think a lot of the the hate that people get online is because um, hate in the comment section is a kind of weapon. People weaponize their words to try to bring you down. And when people realize that you have so many followers, they kind of think like, oh, well, my weapon's pretty weak. I mean, there's just so many people here. You know, what's one little comment going to do in among a sea of comments which kind of makes it easier I have a lot of messages so I'm sure some of them must be really not positive or people weaponizing their love for you as a kind of oppressive tool yeah so they'll be like marry me you bitch and then you're like what what does that that even mean yeah exactly you clearly can't think that that's going to work so it has to be something else operating here it has to be this power dynamic that you want. I mean, I guess I probably found the, let's say I found about a thousand people who are real kindred spirits online and the rest are just here for the party. But those thousand people I'm really grateful to have found. Mm -hmm. People from all across the world who basically I just united with in complaining about stuff. And it was like, (laughs) I was like, I hate the fact that, but it's true, right? Like the thing about, you know, the teaching, that was something that got people saying, you know, oh, I really feel like I just can't teach because my first teacher was so problematic, Mm. even though he had such good intentions. Mm. Um, You know, he was so well-intentioned. He just wanted the best. But nevertheless, I ended up completely tormented and tortured from that teaching that, I just can't do it. And then people would write me. Someone would write me from Philadelphia. Like, oh my God, I'm so happy you're feeling the same way. And I think, what? This was never, you know, I kind of never had the thought that anyone was actually reading it, which is the disconnect that you get that makes social media dangerous, kids. But Mm. (laughs) yeah, Mm. we live in a different world these days. Since TikTok, we live in a different world. I say this all the time on my podcast. So if anybody that's listening to this is listening because they listen to my podcast, then I'm sorry, because this is going to be really boring for you. (laughs) But um, 
TikTok has completely changed the world order that we live in. We never would have believed it when musically with its stupid little head tilts mm. and videos of 10 seconds came about. We never would have imagined the kind of world that it's created today, which is where 15-year-old girls who can dance, uh, kids who sing songs from their bedroom, and couples who talk to each other in a funny way have become like the leaders of our society in terms of people who have, you know, gained the most wealth and can capitalize on that wealth by influencing all kinds of business. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And at what a time as well. Most of us were just going through COVID trying to work out how to, you know, eat lunch at the same time every day. And meanwhile, all these other people were kind of gaining this traction, this huge, huge following. These people could start political uh, groups and just completely smash it out of the park. So we live in just a different world order that we can't really understand. And Instagram has taken a hit from that because Instagram used to be very much, oh, here's a picture, hashtag ad. Mm. This is me wearing a t-shirt. And now it's all about videos that are not necessarily good quality where people just get to have the feeling that they're behind the scenes in your life and so what that becomes about is kind of what Instagram started as but people hated which is how can you make such a highlight reel out of your life that people want to see the backstage and that and that's something that I think is kind of something we're going to have to probably deal with in the next couple of years I think everybody sort of thought that we were out of the woods with that really really dangerous social media uh, effect on our lives but now we're kind of realizing that even though you can have some like pretty quotes on campus it's just your algorithm that's showing those things to you and that meanwhile all of these same problems are still there mm. multiplied thousandfold and they're even more hidden than they used to be so yeah it's a tricky time to be online I mean you know all the while I just post a video playing guitar and I'm like oh this is me side reading haha ha, I made a mistake <laughs> <It's so funny. laughs> it's, I mean it's just <laughs> yeah it's interesting to be in I suppose for you I don't know how you feel about it but it looks like an interesting online world within the viral classical music world it's not really which is still new it's so new and it's so I just feel so relieved that there is someone like you with your following who is speaking to us now and sharing a really dark story because there are other viral people who can do a lighthearted things. I've got no problem with that, you know, but there is the danger that, that, that classical music maintains this image of like being, as I think you've talked about before, all about your success, all about perfection. I feel really grateful that you you feel like a four, is it four bearer? No, a, like a flagship front runner, <laughs> front runner. Uh, one of those I'm f words, fuck. but not the bad one. Um, <laughs> one of those people that is, if yeah, if there was going to be somebody to help take class the classical music viral world in like forwards, I would be so happy that it would be somebody like you who's going to be yeah. honest and real about things rather than maybe some of the stuff Tri more trivial trivial or just like here's playing a, playing here's a performance nice, i did nice venue nice dress well we're so entrenched it's really difficult it's something i've realized with the podcast as well but it's something i see online too that we um we always kind of think that everybody's at the same stage as us mm -hmm. with going through this stuff but most of the time people are just still as entrenched in those kind of uh, thought processes 
as they were 10 years ago or that, you know, you were 10 years ago or, uh, you know, lots of people never really managed to escape a lot of the stuff that we grew up with. And why, why would you? It basically takes an earth shattering breakdown to even start questioning this stuff yeah. because you build up the idea of your world. And something that I've realized with the podcast is that I, I've sort of solidified a lot of my views during interviewing and you'll just talk to people who it's kind of as though there's just been one idea presented they're almost a victim of that idea they just they just keep saying it I was talking to a girl and she was saying yeah but you know you really have to know the research behind what you're playing it's like well <laughs> you could do but also you kind of don't have to because you're probably going to play it differently anyway right and they're just like yeah but I mean you have to you have to like you have to have researched it I was like but why? It's just some dead dude talking about it. Why don't you talk about it? It doesn't <laughs> really matter. Like, you know, you talk to people, and this is one of the interesting things to talk about in our world. You know, this this idea of this ownership that composers have over their own music. And composers these days don't claim any ownership. So where did we get this idea from? We just, we mm. made it up out of somewhere. Or teachers made it up yeah. to make some kind of elusive rules that you have I to I want to blame follow. them, to be honest. Yeah, but it's basically all based on insecurity. And this is something that I've been kind of trying to delve into a little bit more recently, but thinking about what are the reasons that people make commandments, right? Well, you only make commandments because you are perhaps slightly insecure that what you do in your artistic life, that you have nothing to show for. I mean, what kind of portfolio do you have? You know, if people say to me, what do you do? Show me a bit of what you've done. The only thing I can do when I'm playing guitar and I identify myself as a guitarist is go and get my guitar out of the case and play in whatever state I'm in right now. I mean, of course that makes you insecure, especially if your whole 60 year career has been built up of, you know, I mean, playing, but things that people can never grab onto. Oh, I was at that concert. It was really great, but you can't experience it again. Mm. It's not, it's not permanent. Um, you can never prove anything. Everyone hears something different. It's all very confusing. So everyone's mm. really insecure. Of course you build up rules around something yeah, like that. No you have to research this stuff. You have to have a reason why, why can't you just play the Chacon however the, however you like, <laughs> <laughs> however the hell you like, why can't you just walk into a room and be like, yeah, brrrrum. you know what? If somebody else did that, and they had a reason behind it. Everyone would go, oh, yes. <laughs> but if you don't have a reason, people, yeah, exactly. High art. Not just art, but high art. <laughs> but, you know, when you just kind of walk on stage, you're like, well, I don't know. I just, I like, I, I like it that way. I do it that way. During the lockdowns when applying for, like, the self-employed grant or, like, any of this thinking about the support for musicians and stuff because I wasn't really playing that much in the lockdowns and so it felt like well how on earth can I prove myself worthy of this support if I pick up my trumpet now and tried to play people would be like you're not worthy of our support mm. and that was such an interesting identity thing I, as you say that like you can what, you can only prove what you do by presenting exactly what you have in that moment right there and then and that is it yeah, yeah it's so interesting it's such an insecurity it really is well, wow. yeah it's something I felt like I hit on during the second lockdown I don't know when the second lockdown started in the UK here it must have been around October I guess uh last year and I had to do a talk for a guitar festival and as a kind of funny opening line lol it was not funny at all <laughs> um I thought that I would say uh my name is Rosie Bennett and I identify as a guitarist because I thought why not that's you know that kind of makes sense and the 
it alludes to the fact that I just I'm not really playing a lot of guitar, but I kind of still think of myself as doing that. Yeah. But nowadays, I probably say that that is actually how I feel. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I identify as a guitarist who just does a load of other things. Yeah. It doesn't bother me so much that I'm not playing as much or that I can't quite find what it is or that I'm, you know, searching for something. Mm. Um, but I think it's because at some point, and it's actually, especially through talking to people, I talked, um, this was a really embarrassing interview, but I talked to a guitarist who I didn't know a lot about. I'd seen a couple of videos. His name is Derek Gripper. He's a South African guitarist who plays on classical guitar, core music. Uh, and it's like super cool. And before I was going to interview him, I did an overwhelming amount of research because there's so much about this guy online. And I was just like, I was bricking it by the time the interview came around. I had all these questions about gurus because he's so cool. He went to um, India to study yoga to try and figure out something about gurus. And I was like, wow, that's just so cool. <laughs> um, and when we talked, I, I remember asking him, I said to him, oh, I was interested in your search for gurus. And he was just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> and I and I suddenly realized that this guy doesn't have all these troubles. Like, he's kind of become enlightened. Oh so I can't God. ask him, oh, how was it? Did you feel that it was really difficult? Did you feel any kind of judgment when you were going through that? But he was just so enlightened. It was... It, it was petrifying. I was just like, how, how can I, like, how can what I do, I do this? I mean, you just, you know, it was like water of a duck's back. It was just like, you know, I, especially about things like judgment or control. He was just like, yeah, I just don't have any control. I asked him about teaching. So what do you teach? He was like, what did he say? It was such a legendary comment. And at the time I was like, oh yeah. And then afterwards I listened back and I'm like, what did he mean? <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we all make the mistake, I think, of uh, thinking that, Teaching is about imparting your knowledge to somebody else. And I was like, yeah. Now I'm like, what? <laughs> What's teaching then? It just made so much sense. He was just, he was like, that's not what it's about. It's just not about you. And oh my God, so enlightening. Um, I'm going to listen to that. Saying this? Yeah, wow. Um, so probably should come closer to an end at some point. But we, we have been starting a, a thing that oh, yes. kind of happened accidentally, actually where we ask people if they would like to share like a win you've had oh, I didn't last... think about mine no I haven't really thought about mine but maybe Rosie can go first yeah if there's something in your week because we I, I often find that we always talk about people's failures or like things that have gone like catastrophically wrong yeah and so then we just started adding in at the end like oh what's something that's gone well this week yeah <laughs> like for example yeah. I would probably say that I've gotten into computer gaming a bit this week which is something really huge because it's not something productive in inverted yeah. commas with my time and so it feels like a big thing for me to just let go into do it do something that actually has no physical consequences in the real world nice anybody else this is going to sound like really this is a i was saying to rebecca like all my wins have always been mental health related but I, I'm kind of just going to own the fact that, like, it's still an ongoing thing for me to be dealing with anxiety day to day. It's like something I still deal with every day. And much as I'm like, oh, I talk about it. It's always something I'm struggling with. It's like, yeah, maybe it is. My win is I have, for some reason, built up in my head, like, a bit of a fear of going to Lidl. Sounds really weird. But I think it's just that, like, it is an overwhelming experience to be in Lidl. Nothing's where you think it's going to be. Nothing's where you think it's going to be. It's often really, really busy. And 
the thought of going it's on a really really like stressful road everything is just too much but i was just like you know what i'm gonna go to little your little win for the week it's my little win <laughs> so random but there you go okay we've I got like computer that. games and little anything to add rosie okay yeah i'll go with mine my little win i guess or my win why am i demeaning my win <laughs> my win is that i started finally going to a dutch class my dutch is okay i can speak dutch but i have an accent from here but have a very limited vocabulary and grammar so i never learn anything because people never realize i'm foreign they just think i'm stupid <laughs> um, <laughs> So I started going to a class, which is already a win. I can actually show you my textbook here. I'm back at school. Yeah, that's amazing. Exciting. That's so cool. Um, yeah, it's re- and it's really fun as well. And I have to um, gaslight myself. No, not gaslight. <laughs> I have to suppress myself because I'm so excited to be back in a classroom. Yeah. Um, and every time the teacher asks a question, I'm like, me, I know. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm not anymore in a class with kids my age because obviously I'm in my 20s. Um, it's in like an, an evening adult Ooh. class. So everyone's a bit more serious, but also more friendly and more fun. And I'm just trying to not be a teacher's pet. Like I have excelled at my whole life. Can you say things musicians don't talk about in Dutch? Uh, let me see, because there's a lot of ends in it. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so things is dingen. So dingen that mensen niet overspreken. The grammar could be wrong. Nie spreken over. Okay. It's going to be one of those ones. You know what? I'm just going to consult Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> That's your <laughs> perfectionism. Yeah. I'll just be wrong. That's my win. My other win. So yeah. in terms of your social media, your podcast, everything like that, can you just give us where they can find you online and in terms of your blog and in terms of your podcast as well? So you can find me at Rosie Bennett Guitar. It's Bennett's with one T if you're in England. If you're not from England, it's Bennett, as you would imagine it to be spelt. <laughs> um, and my podcast is called Fret Not, which is a pun if you're from England. <laughs> and if you're not, then it's not. Stupid. <laughs> yes. Uh, where we... I aim to demystify the learning processes that we all go through. But basically where we always just end up talking about doing whatever you want and trying to be okay with that. My writing is kind of a bit all over the place. Actually the best place, I mean I need to make a link tree thing. I guess that's probably the best thing I should do with a page now that's kind of serious. But actually the best place to find all of the publications is on LinkedIn. You can oh, imagine. Wow. Where did how did I get Profesh. here? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I will I'll request to follow you. Business women. Wait, you have LinkedIn? Of course I have LinkedIn. Oh my god. I've got a job now, Rebecca, remember? Yeah, do you have it? <laughs> Guys, I'm going to leave you, I'm sorry. No, 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 don't no, worry. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time and vulnerability and yes. being here. Thank you. this podcast why not check us out on basically anywhere that you get your podcasts or at tmdta podcast on any of the socials or our website www.thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout.com see you next time